we are in uh, week two of of our series called Beyond Hunger Games. Last week we we kind of started off. It's um it's going to be a quick four week little jaunt. That's a fun word to say, jaunt. Everybody say jaunt. Yeah, it's a great word. Um, we are in this little jaunt through fasting. What it means. If you missed last week, you can always pick it up on the website. I would highly recommend that you do. It was um, pretty good stuff, but here's the one thing I want us to remember from last week, and that is we defined what fasting is. Because if we're honest, most of us have heard of fasting, but we don't really do fasting. And if we have tried fasting, we probably didn't like fasting because it means no food, right? And most of us like to eat, right? Yeah. So we, we, we tried to come up with a simple definition of fasting, and here's what it was. Um, it's fasting is creating a physical void and trusting God to fill it spiritually. So you create a physical void. Maybe you go without food or you go without Facebook or, God forbid, you go without media like TV or movies or whatever. So you kind of create a physical void because you're hungry for Jesus and you trust him to fill it spiritually. Because that was kind of the definition from last week. I just want you to remember that. We saw that at um, John chapter 4. We were talking about Jesus with the woman at the well. And he just told his disciples, really blew their mind. He said, look, I don't need food because my food is to do the will of God in heaven. Okay, so um, today we're picking up from there. We're going to be in Isaiah 58. Um, You can go ahead and turn there, kind of keep your thumb there. Isaiah 58. And we're going to kind of look at what God was saying to the people of Judah about fasting. And then I think you're going to be amazed at maybe how much this applies to America today. Last week was um, kind of an overview of fasting and how it's supposed to be more spiritual than physical. So today's going to be kind of like having a probe go down deep into your soul. Aren't you excited about that? Doesn't that sound exciting? It's like you just, what was your prayer to God? Probe me. It sounds like some kind of horror flick, right? Um, So if you get a little bit uncomfortable, it's cool because you'll be, you're sitting in a room with about a hundred other people who will also be uncomfortable and you're hearing a message from a pastor who is slightly uncomfortable too because this is kind of the, okay, God, last week we get it. Fasting is physical and spiritual and then this week we're going to really just go from up here down here and we're just going to start really taking a peek at some of the stuff, the motives behind fasting and at some point today, If we read the Word of God correctly, you're going to go, I don't know if I like this. Okay? So you're in good company. You're just being probed. We should have gotten T-shirts made just for today. I just got probed at the gathering. (laughs) But who wears a T-shirt like that? Michael does, right? Right there. There we go. Okay, so you've got, you've got your note page, if I think you do, and um, you've got blanks at the top of that page, the big idea. We always have one big idea. Again, if this is kind of your first or second experience here, um, we just believe that it's hard to remember lots of stuff. And so if we can sum it all up in one sentence, then it helps you and it helps me even to remember what we talked about. So you've got that big idea at the top. This week, we're not going to fill that out to the end, so don't freak out. Don't think I forgot it. Um, we're just going to wait till the end and we'll use that big idea to wrap it up. Like a nice little ribbon and a bow on a present. All right, so here we go. We're in Isaiah chapter 58. Um, We're going to take our time going through this whole chapter. Before we do that, we're going to talk about the background. Just some things you need to know before we um, read what Isaiah wrote. He was in Judah. He ministered in Judah. He probably wrote the book around 700 B.C. Um, Even though the culture, he wrote it to that culture there, Here's the way the culture was, and see if this doesn't sound a lot lot like the culture that we live in. 
in Judah at that time, there was a huge gap between the rich class and the poor class. Hmm. Yeah, okay. The rich got richer. The poor were getting... Wait, did you live in Judah? No, you live in America, right? Sounds very much like today. Um, abuses, resentment, unrest, profiteering were very rampant. Always going on. The gravest problem in Isaiah's day was land grabbing. Like with their hand? No, I mean they would just stake my stake my claim. They would just take as much as much land as they could get. The city government was corrupt. That that doesn't really apply today. Bribed judges made life miserable for the poor people. Drunkenness, luxury, idleness, and indifference. Those were the big things they struggled with in the day that this was written. Now, the person next to you probably isn't drunk this morning because they've had a lot of coffee this morning. (laughs) But, you know, we've talked about apathy a number of times, haven't we? Indifference. I mean, that's something we struggle with, not just in America where people don't know Jesus, but even in the church, we struggle with apathy. We don't care that we struggle with it, but we do struggle with it. So those are the social conditions. Here's the religious conditions. Here's what's going on in the religious community in Isaiah's day. Um, I love this. It says, the religious leaders were too busy drinking to listen to the voice of God. Those are the pastors whose denominations believe that you should have actual wine when you do communion and it shouldn't be thrown out so they had to drink it so (laughs) these pastors they were like let's do communion every week right and they'd come out with like this big goblet all right you five go ahead and then they would drink what was left over right so they're busy getting drunk these are the preachers um it's it's been said that you can tell how low a nation falls listen to this women don't get mad at me It's been said you can tell how low a nation has fallen by how low the women of the nation will stoop. Did you hear that? You can tell how low a nation has fallen by how low the women of that nation are willing to stoop. And the women of Jerusalem in this day were coarse, they were sensual, they were drunken, they were thoughtless, they were given to wickedness. I'm not saying that's happening in America today, but I do go on Facebook. Unreal. The people were ignorant of their spiritual need. But some of you are like, Facebook, what's that got to do with women? Sorry, uh, because I see the pictures that girls put on Facebook. You're like, I want to be your dad for a day just to ground you. And that's it. And then I'll just move out, you know. It's just, I'm, I'm, it blows my mind. It's like, hey, look at me. Anyway, whatever. Here we go. Moving on. The people were ignorant of their spiritual need. They falsely assumed this, that the Mosaic Covenant couldn't be broken, that Israel could fulfill her obligations simply by observing rituals and sacrifices, that the day of the Lord would be a triumph for Israel, And that God would never allow Jerusalem to be destroyed. Now, those are about their time then. This, let's relate it to our time now, okay? They believe that the Mosaic Covenant couldn't be broken. We don't go around talking like that, do we? I mean, when's the last time you walked up to somebody and said, you know, I follow Jesus. And they said, what does that mean? It means the Mosaic Covenant can't be broken. What? 
We don't say that. What we say is we're special. We are special. We've got a thing with God. He gets me. He understands me. I can do a lot of things because he understands. That's what we say. They believe that Israel could fulfill her obligations by observing rituals and sacrifices. We also don't talk like that, but we go to church. That's our ritual. Well, I thought you were a Christian. Well, I am a Christian, but you just did, I mean, you're a Christian, but you just did that. And we go, oh, it's just cool, man. I go to church. I mean, down here in America, in, in, in Albemarle, you can walk to, up to anybody, say, um, you go to church? And they'll go, yeah. And then just ask them this, well, where do you go to church? They'll say the name, and you say, well, oh, yeah, I've heard of that church. Who's your pastor? And they'll go, uh, somebody that reads the Bible? <laughs> or they'll name a pastor that was there five pastors ago. I mean, just, we just assume, well, I go to church. That's our ritual, the biggest ritual we struggle with. They believe that the day of the Lord would be a triumph for Israel. They believe that, we, that they win. We believe that we win. They believe that God would never allow Jerusalem to be destroyed. Let's just translate that to America today. We believe that we are safe. And, how many, and I do believe that God loves America, that he wants to do great things in our country. But just because he loves America, does that mean that we can do whatever we want? No. But that's what they believed. It was, this was the cultural environment, the religious environment that Isaiah was speaking about. It couldn't be more timely for our culture either. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through slowly, start at the beginning. I'm just going to read the verse. We're going to talk about what it means. And then at the end, try to tie it up and make sense of it all. You ready? You in Isaiah chapter 58? Here we go. Verse 1. He says this. Shout it aloud. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. Now, here's the deal. I love the way this starts, right? Because here's what he says. Shout and shout. The Hebrew word literally means with the throat. How do you do that? Not like that. It just means to shout loud enough to attract attention, man, to get people's attention. We don't typically do that, right? Bad things happen if we don't understand what's said. And God didn't take the chance that they wouldn't understand what was said. It's, it's important that we understand, that we have clear communication. Um, Friday night, Wendy and I got to go to Cheesecake Factory. It's a great place to eat. And it was even better because we had a gift card. Yeah, it's fantastic. So I called Cheesecake Factory because I knew Friday night, Charlotte, it's going to be crowded. So I called them on Friday to see if I could make a reservation. And almost word for word, this was our phone conversation. Hello, Cheesecake Factory. Hey, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Look, I'm coming to eat. I just was calling to see if y'all take reservations. And she said, sometimes. Okay. Okay. She said, when were you thinking about coming? Tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah, tonight. What time? Say 6.30. No, we don't do reservations then. Thanks. And I hung up. I mean, I was so confused. It's like, if I had asked for 6.15, could I have gotten a reservation? Was it just 6.30 on a Friday night? Sometimes when we're not clear, I mean, look, I want you to understand something. I'm going to show you a clip in just a second that will drive home the point that we need to hear what God's saying. But I want you to understand this. He begins a chapter that's going to contain very hard teaching about fasting. And he starts it with this. Shout! Shout it out loud! 
Make sure that it's clear. We don't want to have any misunderstandings here. And I love that God's like that. I got this clip from a show that I just love, Seinfeld. You'll love it too. Here we go. What, what are you doing later? Uh, Lane and I are going out to dinner with Kramer and his new girlfriend. Really? Yeah. You can't believe this woman. She's one of these low talkers. You can't hear a word she's saying. You're always going, excuse me, what was that? <laughs> Maybe I'll meet you. No, George, we're going out to eat tonight with your father. Oh. Okay. I'll talk to you, Lynn. Yeah, take it easy. <laughs> yeah? Okay, well, I had this idea for a pizza place where you make your own pie. Right. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, well, that was a good one. Well. <laughs> What's that? Excuse me? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know that uh, Leslie's in the clothing business? She's a designer. Oh. In fact, she's come up with a new one that's going to be the big new look in men's fashions. It's uh, like a, a puffy shirt. Well, yeah, it, it, it's all puffy. Like the pirates used to wear. Oh, a puffy shirt. Puffy. Yeah. See, I think people want to look like pirates. You know, it's the right time for it. To be all puffy and devil may care. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> uh, uh, Jerry's going to be on the Today Show on Friday. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Um, um, he's promoting a, a benefit for Goodwill. You know, they... Uh, they clothe the <clears throat> poor and the homeless. And the indigent. And the indigent, yeah. I, I do volunteer work for them. I, I, I set the whole thing up, and I got Jerry to do it. Sure? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Mm. You're not going to believe what's happening with Leslie. You know, since you agreed to wear the puffy shirt on the Today Show, she's getting all these orders from boutiques and department stores. Uh-huh. Since I what? <laughs> agreed to wear the puffy shirt. What are you talking about? When you said that you would agree to wear the puffy shirt on the Today Show. I agreed to wear this? Yeah, yeah. Well, when did I do that? When we went to dinner the other night. What, are you crazy? What were you talking about when I went to the bathroom? I don't know. I couldn't understand a word she was saying. I was just nodding. There you go. Where'd I go? You mean she was asking me to wear this ridiculous shirt on national TV and I said yes? Yes, yes, you said it. But I didn't know what she was talking about. I couldn't hear her. Well, she asked you. I, I can't wear this puffy shirt on TV. Uh, I mean, look at it. It looks ridiculous. Well, you gotta wear it now. All those stores are stocking it based on the condition that you're gonna wear this on the TV show. The factory in New Jersey is already making them. 
They're making these? Yes, yes. This pirate trend that she's come up with, Jerry, this, this is gonna be the new look for the 90s. You're gonna be the first pirate. Well, I don't wanna be a pirate. Yeah, come in. I just wanted to let you know he's got about five minutes. Yep, yep. <laughs> Jerry, five minutes. <laughs> now that's a great looking shirt. Hi, Captain. Yeah. I'm glad I ironed it. It's perfect. Look at it. It's fantastic. Kramer, how am I going to wear this? I, I can't wear this. Hey, this looks better than anything you own. You know, in two months' time, everybody's going to be wearing the pirate look. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Kramer. Guess what? I just saw Brian Gumble. He said he might help out at the benefits. Great. It's the puffy shirt. Look at it, huh? What do you think? Is it cool or what? Why are you wearing this now? Why am I wearing it now? I'll tell you why I'm wearing it now. Because the low talker asked me to, that's why. And I said yes. Do you know why? Because I couldn't hear her. When did she, when did she ask you this? When we were at dinner, when Kramer went to the bathroom. I didn't hear anything. No, of course not! Nobody hears anything when this woman speaks. What, what are you doing later? Uh, Lane and I are going out to dinner with... Okay, so obviously bad things can happen if we don't understand what's being said. Puffy shirt and all. That's what we should have given first-time visitors today. <laughs> Their very own puffy shirt. Arg, matey. All right. So... We, we tend to speak softly about things when maybe we should speak clearly about things. God doesn't lower his voice when it comes to commands that we need to understand. He speaks clearly. He says to his prophet, don't whisper this. Shout it loud. Make sure that they understand it. Uh, we live in the South. We say certain things softly, quietly. Um, if I gave you a few minutes, you could come up with probably two or three or four topics that we don't typically talk loudly about. We make sure people are in the other room and make sure the kids are watching TV. Or, and when we come in close and we start to talk, God's not like that. We like to lower our voice about sin. God speaks loudly about it. And he doesn't do it to embarrass us, although it can be embarrassing. He does it to engage us. He does it to make sure we understand. Verse 1, he says, shout it aloud. Verse 2, from, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right, has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. So, like, contrary to some people, these guys in Judah, they, they were regular. They didn't struggle with regularity. They didn't need to buy, like, medicine to help them be regular, right? They... Daily. We come together once a week, typically, maybe twice a week if you go to a community group. But they came together, the Bible says, day after day, they sought God. They seemed eager to know about God. They wanted his wisdom, his decisions. They wanted to be near him. They wanted to know his presence. Sounds pretty good. Verse 3 says this. They say, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? 
Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed it? So the devotion that they had wasn't just limited to praying every day, but it also included fasting. Pretty devoted. I mean, I'm sitting here teaching you about fasting, thinking maybe at the end of the month when we take a week, you might maybe give God a meal. They made fasting a regular discipline. Prayer and fasting. They were committed to it. They were devoted to it. But this verse, verse 3, this is the pivotal one. This is the one that betrays their motives. They said, why have we fasted and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And what it says is they saw fasting as a tool. I want you to understand something. Fasting is never a tool. It's never a way for us to twist God's arm, paint him into a corner, and say, Aha! You have to do what I say because I didn't go to Arby's last night. I wish we hadn't. I like Arby's right now. It's a big old, big old giant thing full of roast beef. We don't eat that for a day and think that somehow we just twisted God's arm into doing what we want him to do. And that's the way they saw fasting. Without sounding too harsh, it's safe to say we feel the same way. We find ourselves saying to God, I went hungry for this I mean, are you kidding me? I gave up a meal, a meal, I gave up a day of food for this. I mean, nothing's even changed. I didn't even lose weight. God, what a waste, God. And that's kind of where the people of Judah were. See, it's pretty obvious that they were fasting in order to get God to serve them. And we'll find out later in this chapter that he wanted them to fast in order to get them to serve others. They're fasting to get God to do what... He, they want him to do for them, and he wants them to fast so that he can use them to do for others what he wants to do in their lives. The saddest phrase in the whole chapter is next. It says this at the end of verse 3. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You do as you please. That reveals a lot about the human condition, doesn't it? We've talked a lot about in the past here about defaults. Is it safe to say that apart from Christ, that is the default of humanity? In any given situation, we will do what we please. And then we come to Christ, and we assume because we've come to Christ, everything's perfect, everything's going to be great, I'll never struggle with this again. And now we're reading about people who were God's people who daily devoted themselves to seeking God, to wanting to be in his presence, sounds a lot like what we do, and even fasted, and he still said to them, but on the day of your fast, you do as you please. Let me just say this, and let me say this clearly to all of us. This is where we struggle. We're, we're Christians, we love Jesus, we try to do the right thing, this is where we struggle. That as we try to do the right thing, we find ourselves still doing what we please. And I know most of you are like me. You hear that and you go, ah, dude, there's no way. I can't be as bad as what these people sound like. The Bible is full of disciples who, as they followed Jesus, showed their butts a lot. It's written, two-thirds of the New Testament, by a man named Paul who, as he followed Jesus, wrote in Romans that I can't do what I want to do, and what I don't want to do, I still do. God, who will deliver me from this body? You, you don't 
think, and I don't think that I'm that way, but if you need some proof, just live a little. Go to Walmart. Get in one of those long lines. Stand there for 15 minutes, and as you're the next person to check out, let the cashier pull the light switch, put the register close sign out, and see how you react. Because I know how you'll react. Because you'll react the way I would react. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm next. I've been here for 15 minutes while you checked out the lady in front of me who couldn't write her check to cover the three baskets of food. Well, it's time for my break. <laughs> Look, the customer's always right. I'm the customer. Check me out. Like, not that way. Just check me out. Well, if I check you out, then I'll have to check out the ten people who are also waiting in line, who have now moved to go to another line. I don't care about those ten people. I, I want to get out of here, man. Get me out of Walmart. Let somebody pull out in front of you in traffic. And, and let the kids not be in the car. Let somebody take from you what you're pretty sure is yours. And then let's talk about how different the people of Judah are from the people of America. Because all of us, because we're human, we struggle with this. We struggle with our space, our rights. What? You didn't ask me to do that. Why didn't you ask me to do that? Because I'm as good as the person you asked to do that. Are you blind? Do you not see what a gift I am to you? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. That's a hard word. That's the kind of word that we would like the low talker to deliver. You know, you do as you please. And we, yes, yes, praise you, Jesus. God speaks clearly a very hard word to his people. And we have to ask ourselves. Do we judge them too quickly when we should be asking ourselves, what about me? God, do I do as I please? All right, let's move on. Verse 4. Verse 3 is a tough one. He says, on the day of your fasting, in verse 3, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. And in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. So this is the list of stuff that was wrong with their fast. I love it. So I'm fasting. I'm not eating food. And you're, let's, you own a business. And your, your employees say, so boss, dude, what's up with that? Why aren't you eating? Well, I'm just I'm seeking God. And I'm also cutting your pay. Oh, why are we... Is the business in trouble? No, I just want to, dude. I'm your boss. I can do what I want. Well, I need that money. Do you need your job? Then work harder. I'll get you out of here and get some else in here. Oh, you didn't quite understand that? Well, let's fight about it. I'm amazed by that. I read that verse and go, wait. So you exploit your workers. You argue. You have strife. And then it gets worse. They start actually having a fist fight. Maybe it's because they're really hungry. I mean, when you're really hungry, right, sometimes you do things that you wouldn't normally do. But they're having fist fights 
during the fast and still saying to God, haven't you noticed that we're fasting? I mean, do you, do you see the arrogance here? The, just the blindness. It's just called humanity. Where they are fasting to get God's attention, yet cheating each other, arguing with, with each other, fighting, literally physically fighting each other, and then at the, as they're doing all that, they're turning to God and saying, why aren't you doing what we thought you would do? And he says very clearly, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Translation, God looked at them and said, are you an idiot? Are you kidding? To think you could do this and this and I will do that? There's no way. Verse 5. Is this... Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself. Is it only bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? God's not interested in just a one-day thing. He's not into one-night stands. I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking a day and fasting. I know every first Tuesday of the month, our church takes a day and we fast. So when we read this, do we just go, sweet, we're not going to do that anymore. Now we can eat on the first Tuesday of the month. You're like, I wasn't liking this message very much, but I'm liking it now. Arby's on the first Tuesday of the month. Yes. It doesn't mean you can't do a one-day fast at all. It just means this. I want you to write this down. It means that fasting should not simply inconvenience our day, but instead it should influence our lives. Fasting should not simply inconvenience our day. It should influence our lives. It's not just a blip on the calendar of your life. I mean, if we spend the first Tuesday of the month fasting and asking God to work his heart into our heart, and then the other 30 or 29 or 25 days or 6 days, depending if it's February, I mean, do whatever we want. That day means nothing. Fasting is not about being inconvenienced for a day. It's about being influenced for a life. Fasting is more about us getting God's heart than it is getting God's help. I'm glad that God helps us, right? Aren't you glad God helps you? He does help you, doesn't he? Yeah. But fasting is more about getting his heart than it is getting his help. It's just, God, put your heart in me. I want to have your heart more than I want to have your help. Verse 6 Isaiah starts to describe the heart that God's after. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of the injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. That is the heart that God's after. That's the heart of true fasting. It's to hear and see men and women set free. And fasting softens our hearts towards them. Verse 7 describes the actions of of fasting is it not to share your food with the hungry to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood it's easy to see that our religious activities mean very little without actively sharing with those in need it means that we have to seek them out god actually expects that we'll see people in need because he didn't say if you see them he said when you see them when i read that verse I thought about Matthew 25. We won't turn there now, but you can just jot that down in your notes. Matthew 25. That verse sounds very much like Matthew 25. 
where God's talking, and he says, you know, at the end of the time, we'll just separate people into one group, and then we'll have people in the other group. And the one, they'll not know if they're a good or bad group. They'll just be in two different groups. And then at the end of all of it, God says, you're sheep and you're goats. And if you read that passage, I love the way Keith Green always put it. He said this, the only difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did or did not do. It's as simple as that. This verse sounds very much like that. They said, when did we ever see you naked and hungry, Jesus? He said, well, when you, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Or when you didn't do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. That's what this verse is talking about. Actions. It's one thing to have just the heart of fasting. God, break my heart for the things that break yours. I'm fasting. I want you to change my heart. Show me where people are hurting. Show me the injustice. Break my heart for them. Some of us, that's a great step. I mean, I, t- I share with you, I'm honest with God about the things that my heart's still cold towards. I want him to break my heart. And that's a great first step. But after he breaks your heart, then what do you do? You take action. Verse 7. And in verse 8, I love verses 8 through 14. Just to the end of the chapter. This is what happens when we have the heart in verse 6, actions in verse 7. He says, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Now just jot these down. We're going to go through this really quick. Look at the number of blessings that are promised here if we fast the right way. Here they go. Verse 8, God's light or favor. That's what it means. His light and favor. His healing, right standing with God, God's glory, and God's protection. I mean, that's five blessings in one verse if you fast the right way. Verse 9, you get God's response, you get God's presence. Verse 11, God's guidance, God's provision, God's power. Verse 12, a kingdom reputation as repairers and restorers. Now, let's talk about reputation. Everybody look up here real quick. We're almost done. I bet what you think your reputation is might be different from what other people would say your reputation is, right? Like, what are you known for? And if, if I asked any of you what you're known for, probably you're going to say good stuff. Now, if I asked other people what they're known for, what you're known for, they might say things, and you're like, what? Who are you talking about? That's not me. God, God so wants to establish at the gathering that we have a reputation in this city, in this county, in this state, in this region. And here's the reputation that he wants us to be known for. Verse 12, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. I love that. So we fast the right way with the right heart We have the right actions that go with the fasting. And one of the benefits of that is people will say about you. They'll say about me. They'll say about us. Oh, I know those people. Yeah, man, they got a kingdom heart. They're all about repairing and restoring. They want to help people. I want people to know us for that. Verse 14, the last few blessings um, get joy. Get a prominent place. He says, I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land. And he says, and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. He gets, we get abundance of provisions. Which just, I love the way God speaks. 
he's talking to people who are all about fasting, right? And he's saying, look, just not, not having food but still not doing the right thing, that's not good at all. I want you to fast the right way. And he says at the end, one of the benefits of fasting the right way is you get to have a feast. And I don't know if you've, if you've ever fasted, but if you have, the longer that you fast, the more that God starts to move in your life, and you're, still, you're hungry, and you start to think about, how am I going to break this thing? What's the first meal I'm going to have? And I, I don't fast necessarily when I go on a mission trip, but when I go like to India, where you don't get hamburgers in India, you can get lamb burgers, but they're nasty. So you don't, you just eat chicken. And so when you're over there, after about a week, six days, seven days, I'm just craving. Like on the flight home, every time they bring another meal that is like a vegetable thing, I'm just, I'm seeing the burger at home with the cheese that has just kind of started to melt and the corners have come down and the grease is just right there and you got the crunchy lettuce and the red tomato and you have asked and received extra pickles, right? I mean, I love, and you're just like, you can just taste, I can taste it right now. And don't you know, I mean, see how good God is? He just gave them a strong word, a hard word. Basically, he said, you are wasting your time with this fast thing because you're not doing it right. But if you will do it right, you will receive these blessings. I will use you in your city, in your county, in your area to restore and to rebuild. And by the way, I will lift you up and I will put you in a place of prominence so people know who you are. Not so we can go, well, look who we are, but so they know who we are and they know where we are so that they can get the help that we have to give them. And he says, and at the end of all of it, I got a feast for you. And that's like taking a man who's starving and putting him in front of a bucket of wings, right? So they're just going crazy. You're just, you're just chowing. He promised them a feast. And why is that so important? Because verse 7 says that fasting is to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor with shelter. So he wants us to share our food, and part of the benefit of fasting the right way is he gives us a feast, which is all this food that we probably couldn't eat ourselves, but we might try because we've been fasting. We take some of that food and go, you know what? God has blessed us. Who's hungry? Here you go. Come eat with us. <laughs> Hands are going up. I'm hungry. Shut up, pastor. Come on. Let's go eat. So let's land this thing. All of us, more than likely, would love to live the life that verses 8 to 14 describe. Uh, just like Judah, our culture, especially in church, can mistakenly assume that we'll get it by performing certain rituals. If we go to church, if we read our Bible at least five seconds a day, and if we pray at the end of that verse for a few seconds... Just thank you, Jesus, for the Bible. And if I'll fast a meal once a year, God will move in my life in a mighty, mighty way. We're, we're just, we've, we've bought the lie that if we do certain things, God kind of owes us because we went without food. We endured hunger for a little while or we 
God forbid, came to Sunday church and sat in the coffee shop where it's a little warm on a Sunday and listened to the pastor drone on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But since I did that, God, since I served my time, seriously, you got to do this, right? But doing as we please makes it clear that God is not moved by cold rituals. So that leads us to the big idea. Here we go. Write this down. It's the last thing you have to write down, and then we're going to wrap this up. Here we go. The big idea. Don't miss this. If you're asleep, wake up and write this down. The stomach part, that's the, you actually do get to write the word stomach. It does not have a K in it, by the way. It's S-T-O-M-A-C-H. The stomach part is pointless if the heart part isn't practiced. The stomach part is pointless if the heart part isn't practiced that's the message of isaiah 58 that's the message that god did not speak softly but he raised his voice to the prophet and he spoke clearly to a very religious society i am not moved by the stomach part i'm moved by the heart so if you don't have the heart maybe you want to develop that before you start going without food as we move toward a time that will fast as a church, a time for you and me to ask God to examine our hearts and show us whatever it is in us that could hinder verses 8 through 14 from becoming a reality. Personally and corporately, our desire is a life lived for God and for others, and we believe it only happens when we move beyond hunger games. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that you shout truth to us. That spiritually none of us are going to walk out and feel like we got conned into wearing a puffy shirt. We're going to walk out knowing where you stand, knowing what you expect of us. And now we get to kind of wrestle through that. And, and I do pray for everybody here at the gathering. I pray that this would be a week where we kind of wrestle with, okay, God, um, fasting, just going without food, that's, it's hard because I like to eat, but I can do that. God, having your heart to minister to society, that's the harder part. And I pray that, just like, like David said, he said, search me and know me, oh God. See if there's anything in me that's offensive to you. Lead me in the way everlasting. David said, probe me. Just, just check me out, God. I give you permission. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us that this would be a week when we think through the Scriptures, when we maybe read Isaiah 58 again, and we, we find ourselves not looking back at Judah thinking, God, they're idiots, but we read it with ourselves in mind, and we simply ask you to probe us as a church, God, and just show us, God, our own hearts, soften our hearts, God, Give us a heart of Isaiah 58, 6 that sees the oppressed and then takes steps to set them free. We thank you, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen. You did it. You did it. You got through. Aren't you excited? If you fell asleep, you didn't drool or anything. I don't think. I don't see any drooling. It's kind of warm in here today. Um, 
We pray you guys have a fantastic week. Let me tell you, um, again, if you're new, this is your first time here, you're sitting here thinking, wait, like, when do we do this and when do we do that? We kind of do things a little differently here. We do take an offering. Um, we'd love for you to give to God if you'd like to. Um, we have baskets. One is back here on the table, and then one is right here by the camera. So you can, like, wave to the camera if you want to. Um, you don't have to. God, did I just say that out loud? I did, and I'm so sorry. It kind of ruined the whole day. Um, as you walk out, it's your first time here. If you filled out your car, just hand that in, and they'll be glad to give you a shirt if you've not already gotten one. And we just pray you guys have a fantastic day. Let me pray for you guys as you head out. Don't be in a hurry to leave. Stay and talk and get to know somebody. Um, learn more favorite colors. Mine is black. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would bless us as we go. I pray especially, Lord, that you would bless those that give. Um, Lord, we are a church that believes wholeheartedly that we don't give to a church. We don't give to a cause. We don't give to a pastor. We give to you. God, this is your money that you have given to us. And we know that you have made us, God. You want to bless us as we give so that we can be generous on every occasion so that we can be generous to people in need. God, and that it would bring you glory. So I pray that you would bless the people of this church, I pray that you would bless us as we give, that you would bless us in our jobs. I ask, God, that you would, you would provide increase, that you would provide raises, that you would provide ideas, that you would continue, like we talked about at the end of Isaiah 58, that you would continue to set us up in places of prominence, God, so that we would have the influence to give people what you desire for them to have. And I thank you that that happens financially, it happens in employment, God, it happens socially. And I just pray that you would exalt those of us, God, here at the gathering as we humble ourselves before you to give. Give us a fantastic day and keep us safe, Lord, we pray. And use us and spend us for your glory. I pray that servers at restaurants in this city today would be transformed because they serve tables of people that leave this service. In your name, Jesus. Amen.